And the facts is this, boys. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side, and the truth. Hiya, and welcome to The Curb Podcast. My name is Andrew Pierce, and this podcast is recorded in Bulu, Perth, Western Australia. Sovereignty never ceded. In this episode, I interview celebrated author Paulina Simmons about her latest novel, Lights at LaBelle. Lights at LaBelle is published in Australia through Pam Macmillan, who provided a copy of the book for the purpose of this interview. It tells the story of Finn Evans, a Bostonian banker who at the end of the 1920s finds his life unexpectedly swirling into the orbit of Isabel Lazar, a young Ukrainian farmer. Lights at Lavelle takes readers on a journey over the breadth of its 500 plus pages of romance fiction through stories of war, unspeakable hardships, and the unexpected unions that arise during these difficult times. In the following interview, Paulina talks about her own emotional journey of bringing her characters' stories to life, especially as she is the first person to get to know them and hear their stories. Paulina also talks about the emotional connection that her readers have built up with her over the years since her worldwide bestseller debut, Tully, launched in the early 90s. She also talks about the element of herself that she brings to her work through her novels. And there are many other fascinating topics that she touches on as well. Lights at LaBelle releases in Australia on 31st of October and is available online and in all good bookstores. For now... Here is the interview with Paulina Simmons. Your books have been kind of part of my life for as long as I can remember because they're Tully, for example, is a book that my mum carried around so much and she's read it multiple times. Uh, it's become part of her life. And I, I want to start the discussion of talking about what it means to you as an author to know that not only Tully, but, you know, a fair chunk of your books have become a huge part of your readers' lives. What does that mean for you as a writer? It's an, I mean, it's really enormously, enormously gratifying for me Uh as you can as you can imagine, I, I've wanted to be a writer my whole life, and and really the uh, reception that I got from Australia, you know, from Tali, but onwards to you know, because Tali was my first book, and there's a little bit of fear there. You can imagine when you're a first time author, what if my life was just beginning? You know, I was so young, and uh, what if I could never write another book again, or what if I can never write another book that will mean something to people that's also you know a fear you know you write one book and and 30 years later people are still saying oh my god that one book you wrote back in 1993 that was awesome and you're like yeah but i wrote 16 other books you know so there was a lot of there was a lot of fear there and um but it really the reception that i've received not you know from australia from poland uh you know from from the united kingdom has really been enormously uh gratifying it's like one of the one of the you know one of the um, many inspirations in my life i, I want to also talk about your relationship with pam mcmillan as well because i understand that that started with tully is that correct and there was kind of like a symbiotic relationship there or well so interestingly uh, andrew because pan mcmillan used to be st martin's press and i never actually had a relationship with them in australia but st martin's press were the people who bought tully 
in New York for me back in 1993. Uh, so then many years later, you know, uh, uh, St. Martin's Press was bought by Macmillan, then it became Pan Macmillan. And now sort of um, here we are 30 years uh, down the line. It's sort of uh, the circle, right? It has come, has come all the way around. So now like my new sort of revival of my, of my, you know, kind of um, this new publishing uh, uh, stage in my life is now once again with the people who started my career. So it's, it's, that's pretty great. What does that feel like as well? Like it's, it's got to be an interesting kind of relationship to, to look back and look forward at all at once. Well, Andrew, I actually don't want to ask my present publisher. There is a chance that he may not have been born <laughs> when, when Tali, when Tali was first bought by Penn McMillan. I don't want to ask. There is a danger that he just may have turned 30 years old. And so I'm always like trying to, I'm trying to always be younger and he's always trying to be older and we never discuss the, the yeah. actual truth of it. So in that respect, you know, I've been, and so in between, in between Polly and Light at Lavelle, I have been published really worldwide by HarperCollins. So I've only had really one publisher, kind of one marriage. And now we're sort of, we're seeing other people, you know, and, and, uh, and so it's, it's fresh for me and, and new and exciting in that in that regard. Let's talk about Light at Lavelle as well, because it's been a, a bit of a break in between this book and then the, the previous trilogy that you wrote. But then at the same time, of course, there's been a pandemic as well, which is kind of, uh, you know, as a creative person, I know what it feels like to have been stilted, you know, during all of that time. And I'm curious if you can talk about how your writing process changed during the pandemic. Well, yeah. And so, so... Uh, there actually, there's like a probably a, a whole hour that we can talk about what, what happened there because the last trilogy took me five years to write. So it was it was it was like a, a you know a, a big chunk of my life. It really consumed me uh, for many many years. And when I delivered it, I sort of delivered all three books at once. And when I did that, they said, "Oh, great idea! Let's publish all three books." at once so normally you would have published the first book in the trilogy in 2019 then maybe the second book in 2020 then and then the last book in 2021 that would be like a normal thing so it wouldn't seem like such a large gap but it just so happened that they had this new marketing plan and this marketing plan involved them publishing one book in may the next book in july and the next book in november so all of that so my five years of work was basically published in four or five months. 2019 was over. The pandemic began. And I was like, but now I'm, I'm not, I don't know what else am I going to, that's it. I had nothing left. And then you kind of, when you're living in a pandemic, you must have felt that too, right? As you're living in it, you're like, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if the only thing people are going to want to talk about is uh, uh, COVID, or are they never going to want to talk about COVID? Are we only going to have thrillers now about how we're going to prevent COVID or uh, battle somebody that has COVID or, you know, infection? You just didn't know what was going to happen, you know, how that infectious disease was going to infect the publishing world, right? So you had to take a break and, and kind of observe. And I, during the first year, um, was obsessed with writing down daily 
uh, occurrences of everything that happened, politics, life, personal, celebrity, uh, deaths, uh, which country had the most deaths. I was keeping, you know, careful, uh, crazy, you know, OCD records of, of, of these things. And a year passed of this, and then I realized no one wanted to ever speak about COVID again. Nobody wanted to talk about the pandemic. No one wanted to read about it, certainly. No one wanted think about how few books that have been written since then uh, that have come out, right, uh, that, are, that have the pandemic in them. It's like basically before and after and, and, and nothing else. So that's when I realized that I could, I could use that time, uh, you know, to write, to write a different story. Also a story of a life-changing thing where people lived one life and then suddenly that life is gone and now they have to figure out a way to write another life. So that's a little bit informed by by the pandemic, right? Where some people lose their jobs, some people lose everything. They lose their businesses. They can't go out and work. So how are they going to feed their family? So very much that part informed Light at Lavelle. But I just used um, a different period in history to do that, right? I used the Great Depression to do that. So that my main character is a very successful banker and, and he loses everything in the great crash of 1929 but and his whole family depends on him and uh nobody can leave the house because there's nowhere to go and there are no jobs so that's a lot like pandemic related right and he's got to figure out a way to keep his family together to pay for their uh, uh food to pay for, for the house and he also cannot find a way to do it so so there's an interesting story there and that is combined with the story of the Ukrainian refugee who who escapes really also a tremendous, tremendous strife that's kind of modern but yet old. You know, it's, it's like the age-old thing where it, history just repeats itself. And it just so happened to be that it was uh, suddenly uh, topical, right, that, that Ukraine was in the news again. I mean, nobody even sort of was thinking about the Ukraine. Suddenly it it was all Ukraine all the time. So it just was interesting the way that that, that, turned, uh, that turned out. So that kind of answers part of the next question, which I was going to ask you, which is there is a modern sensibility to the story that seems like uh, not only we're, on a, 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 we're in a world that's on the brink of change, but naturally the characters are going through that world that's on a brink of change as well. And I'm curious if you can talk about, obviously you've, you've kind of touched on it, but how those kinds of things have influenced your perception of today's world as you're writing it, you know, looking back to 1929 and, and seeing the Great Depression play out. How has that changed your perspective of, of the world that we live in right now? Well, here's the thing, Andrew. I really didn't, I still, we still really don't know how things are going to turn out. I didn't expect when I, when I said, oh, this might be a good story to write back in 2021, the war with Russia, right, and Ukraine had just begun in uh, in February of that year, right, and and uh, and ev everything was new. And so when I conceived the story and gave my proposal, and when we talked to the publishers and decided on this course, we we, we just had no idea Ukraine could win, Russia could win, the war could still continue, and here we are two years later, right, and that war just has no way of of ending. You still don't know what's what's happening. At least. In 1929, there is a little bit of a sense in all of us, even as we read the book, that we know how that story ends, at least 
politically wise, right? We know that the Great Depression does come to an end. But I did try to write it so that when we were living through it with my two main characters, that we lived it like they lived it. In other words, they didn't know what was going to happen. I wasn't writing it from a perspective of someone who's looking back on their life. I was looking, I was writing it the way you and I lived through the pandemic and even through the war with Russia and Ukraine, that we're living it day by day, but we have no idea how it's going to turn out. That just makes it more immediate, I think, when you read the book, even though you know that World War II is coming, and even though you know that the Great Depression is going to end. But for these characters, they don't know it. And, you know, I, I sort of wanted that sense of immediacy, I think. That sort of, and because we don't know even today, I think that that, that helped me, you know, construct my story better. I mean, one of the things which I really appreciate, I haven't finished reading it because I've, I've literally, I only got the book last week. And so I'm like halfway oh. through it and I've been trying to get as much done as, as I could. But I've been feeling that it's a privilege to spend time with these characters. Like it's a privilege to see their lives play out. And I'm curious what that, feels like for you you know you're getting to know them yeah. the very first time before anybody else does and what's yeah. the experience like <laughs> well so there are two things about it first of all i've i've had these characters in my in my life in my rather in my mind and in my heart for a long time for many years i didn't know their story but finn losing everything and Isabel losing everything, but coming from these two completely different worlds and somehow colliding together in Boston. That was a story that's been kind of germinating in me for a very long time. But to live with them day to day, what happens is you don't want to let them go. What you want, and I really was hoping, <laughs> I didn't get it, but I was hoping that my, my publisher, when he read it, he would say, oh my goodness, I just want more. Let's not finish this book. Let's do one book, and then maybe we can continue and do a second part and another book and then another book so that we could still be with them. I didn't want to let them go. That's the bottom line. And and uh, as, I, as I wrote... Uh, uh, you know, their stories and, and the scenes with them. And as I came to the end, all I was filled with was a sense of just tremendous loss. I, I just wanted to add more, to go back and to live more and to have more, to have more uh, life, to have more joke. I just, there was a feeling like, even though it's 560 pages, that it was still too short, you know. And I think that's the way they felt also about their life, despite all the trials and all the, you know, the awful things that, that, that happened, that they both felt that it was still kind of short, you know. I think that's how I feel. Isn't that a great sign of a, of a life well lived, though, that even though a lot of stuff has happened, we always feel that, our time spent with somebody is too short. Like we've, we've never had I, enough. <laughs> I completely agree. I completely agree. You know, that's what they say about death. A lot of times when, when people die, when they're say, you know, in their eighties or their nineties, people always say, Oh, you know, they've lived such a great life. You should feel so lucky. And you do, right. You feel lucky. You've had your grandparents or your parents for as long as you did, but there's still a tremendous sense of loss because you still feel like it's never enough time. You forgot to do this. You never did this. You you never either said the right thing or did the right thing. Or, you know, I, I, I always, you know, I, I, you know, I think that I, you know, my mother, my mother uh, died and there was a month before 
between I, the last time I spoke to her and that she died. I can't tell you for how long I, I felt like, why didn't I speak to her even in that last month? Why did we not connect? You know, you, you'd always feel that way that, that there is never enough time. You know, I think that's a very human thing. It is, isn't it? Um, I'm curious then, like, do you go through a kind of a, not a grieving process, but what kind of process do you go through when their stories are complete? Like, even if they've, they've passed away or anything in the story or they're still alive at the end, what do you feel at the end of it? I'll tell you how. I feel grief. That's really how I could describe it. And because I have known grief in my life, I, and in, I, I know what that feels like. That is how you feel. You feel very sunk like sunk down in yourself you you don't feel like you have joy it doesn't feel exhilarating it doesn't feel uh, wonderful it feels like you've lost something you've given something away you've you've parted with something that you desperately didn't want to part with it really is a uh you know you know people say oh you must be so relieved no you don't feel relieved you feel you feel terrible and then it go you know goes away as as life takes over and new things happen and then you know little by little just like in in grief you come to a new period but at first you're you're just really really have a serious separation uh like sadness depression sorrow yeah no matter what, no matter how the story ends by the way yeah and even when it ends happy now happy ending or tragic ending you're still feeling that because if it's a very happy ending, all you want is to live in that world more, right? But the tragic ending, you're always like, could I have done something different? Could I have written it a different way? Why did I have to do that? My reader's going to kill me. (laughs) And sometimes they do, Andrew. They do. They get very upset with me. (laughs) I'm hoping not here. I don't know. It's hard to say. I really, you know, I hope that maybe we'll get a chance to talk again maybe when you finish. Yeah. uh, Even if it's by email, because I would very much like to know what you what you thought once the whole story is complete inside you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. With that in mind, I'm, I'm curious then, like when your narrative requires your characters to be put into complicated situations, how do you personally navigate that? Like you, there is a responsibility to the characters, but there's also a responsibility to the readers in some capacity to get them out of this situation or to, you know, to navigate them through it safely. 100%, 100%, right? And you... Uh, uh, you know, people say, well, the char- it is true. Your story is the most important thing. You always have to remember that you have to do right. You cannot contrive uh, an end or resolution that is not correct uh, because your readers are going to see through it. No matter what level they are, they're always too smart, especially people who read books to feel something. When you feel something, you're going to feel you're going to feel so personally invested in that story that when something is not honest, you're going to say, no, that's not right. So if it's too happy, you're going to feel it because you're going to feel it's contrived. But and that's your question. If it's if it's too tragic, what happens to people is they say, why the hell did I read this? Why? My life is tragic. And I always remember that. I say that people read to escape their life. They, they, every one of us, right, has some calamity, right? Some sadness. They, we've all lost people. We've, we've had people we love be sick. We've had people we love lose jobs. We've had breakups, right? We've had just awful things happen. And sometimes what you need to do is escape that. Um, I wish I could write nothing but like um, uh, 
like a, a comedy like Friends, you know, but like in a book where all you you do is just write. I I want to, and I do try to put humor in my in my novels, but I always remember that part that you cannot make it so awful that people are going to put that book down and be like, what the heck did she just do? I do want them to put it down and weep. I would like that, but I like weeping tears like my own tears. I like weeping tears like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe what I just read. That's different than I cannot believe she did that to my, the characters and to me and, you know, why did she do that? I've read stories like that which have been very bleak and I myself um, don't don't like that very much, you know. Being Russian, though, I do write a lot of melancholy. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do love that. Uh, I, I mean, melancholy is great. Like it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I'm curious in that sense as well. Then, like, being Russian, having grown up in Russia and then moved to America, how do you marry the two sensibilities together? Because Russian melancholy is very different than American American <sighs> melancholy, isn't it? Yes, completely. And and uh, Steve Martin said one of the greatest things ever. He says, everybody who wants to be a writer needs to move to Southern California because there's <laughs> no way that they can write anything sad. If you want to write sad things, you move to Hungary. Because in Hungary, you cannot write anything other than awful, depressing, bleak, awful things. But then you move to Southern California and suddenly... Every day is sunny. It's all shining. You're always outside. You're having dinner and lunch with your friends al fresco, right? And 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 I and I and that's how I feel. I guess about America that my Russian soul carries all that heavy Russian melancholy, but the American part is the one that gives me a little humor, a little light, a little hope. Always like that. I, I believe in redemption, you know, and uh, and the future. And so I always like to write my characters that even when, even if the ending is a sad ending, I need it to be a satisfying ending. You know that it needs to feel right. I like I I, I probably could never have written a book like uh, All Quiet on the on the on the Western Front because in that book just ends so sadly for. Mm. <laughs> For everyone, you know, or maybe a little life, yeah, which is one of the newer books, which is a wonderful book and was a huge bestseller. But it was very kind of sad for all the main characters yeah. concerned. I probably wouldn't wouldn't like that. Yeah, you know. I understand that as well that you put a little bit of yourself into each of the books, which is natural for anybody who's writing. But you've written yes. fiction, you've written kids books and cookbooks, and I'm curious then if you can talk about the difference of of how you put yourself into each of those different ones. Like constructing a cookbook and a kid's book is different than writing a fiction book, is it? So totally, totally. And and the uh, the cookbook is just joy, right? Because a cookbook is, is feeding a family with delicious things. And that's such a positive thing. There is li- There was literally uh, nothing but joy. I, I uh, wrote a cookbook, 80 recipes. Each one of them had a little anecdote connected to it. The anecdote was a pleasure. The recipes were a pleasure. Many of them I make for my own family. So there was a great sense of just joy. There was literally nothing but joy. And also the children's books. That was... Now, the thing about the children's book, Andrew, is I wrote it when my little girl that I wanted to write it for was 18 months old. But by the time that book was published, I think she was graduating high school. <laughs> so I feel like it was a very, 
very large like like period between the 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 writing of that book and the publication of that book however that was also nothing nothing but 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 joy um uh, uh, fiction is a little bit different you know mm. fiction because you're writing you're writing a story about uh about uh a characters that mean something to you so because they mean something to me i want things to happen to them like with tolly for example you were saying with tolly tolly was a very difficult character but i had this sense that i wanted her to like claw her way to life that i didn't want her to be to be sunk down and to be suffocated by by some of the awful things that she had to live through and also suffocated by the decisions that she herself made as a result of 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 those earlier experiences i really sort of with her i really loved her and wanted her to be a human complicated difficult but ultimately a positive character a character who kind of pulled herself up and kept going uh and so that means a lot to me and and so i often say that i'm not necessarily like my characters but sometimes i they are like what i wish i could be i wish i could be brave like tatiana or brave like alexander i wish i could always do the right thing or i wish i could be courageous or i wish i you know whatever whatever it is mm. that that's sort of what you wish i could be funny all the time or always because they always say you know how you walk through the fire is what determines your personality and then i think of myself and how sometimes when things go rough i'm like ah wrong me wrong me no you know i don't want to be like that so i write my character sometimes how i how i wish i were instead of necessarily how how I am. Yeah. You know. A lot of what we're talking about is emotions and how we're feeling, joy, yeah. sorrow and grief yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And and that's yeah. for me at least that's why I read because I then get strength from the characters or I find, you know, some kind of lift in them to be able to carry me through and go, All right, if they can do this and if they're fictional or non fictional it doesn't matter, but they become an inspiration, you know, and that I know talking with right. um, my mum about Tully, it's like a lot of the words that she uses, they're not about the narrative, but it's about how she's felt about it. And that is almost stronger than how the narrative actually is in some capacity. I'm curious if you can talk about your experiences, both as a writer and carrying those emotions, but then also you've got to have had a lot of interactions with readers who have also had, you know, different feelings too. Oh, I, I agree completely. And, and, uh, especially about the thing that you said about your mom, I feel very strongly that when we read, especially when we read fiction, what we look for is the emotion. We, when we want to be, um, say, stimulated intellectually, then we can read a memoir, right? Or we could read nonfiction, right? We could read about the building of the Panama Canal, or we could read the story of Teddy Roosevelt or something if we wanted to be inspired, but, or Helen Keller, right? But if we are reading privately for ourselves what we need is characters and a story that makes these characters come to life for us because we want to feel because that sense of when you're reading i don't know if you've ever done that but you know when you read a book not an ebook and not when you're listening to the audiobook when you actually read a book that sometimes you hold the book to your heart when do you ever do that with anything that's how i want to feel I and and when I write, 
that's how I want to feel even as I'm writing. And so what I always say to my, my, my great readers, my great devoted readers who come to me is I say that when I'm writing this, I feel so strongly for my characters that all I hope is that some of what I feel as I write comes through on the page as they read. And so when they come to me and they say, I wept at the end of this, or my God, she made me so furious, or I couldn't think about anything for days after I finished your book. That to me is like my greatest joy, isn't it? Because that means that something I, I, I wrote uh, uh, made it to their heart. And that's, I guess, what I'm trying to say is that to me, when I read, that's the most important thing. And when I write, that's the most important thing. Well, I mean, that's what I appreciate about the size as well of this, too, is that, like, it's the perfect huggable size, <laughs> you know? Like, it's, when you're done, you can hold it, yeah. like, and it's, and it fills up your yeah. entire heart. So it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I hope, I hope that that's how, and I hope, it, it, this book is so emotional. I mean, it, as you see when you're reading it, it has a lot of things in there that are, because I needed to create a world, and that world is a complicated world, the world of a, uh, an investment banker or the world of the Ukraine. Many people don't know what the Ukrainians uh, lived through. So you need to create that world without being too, you know, you need to give them just enough detail yeah. because otherwise it becomes dry and it becomes uh, sort of you know, almost like reading history. People don't like that necessarily, but they do want a sense of being absorbed in something mm. and to create that, you need to, uh, you know, you need to create, a, a, you know, a sense of the stock market crash mm. or a sense of living in a village where you're being accosted on all sides and you don't know what to do. You, you know, you have no way out and yet there's got to be a way out. Um, you know, so I do, I do, I do feel that, that despite the history part, that that's not the, the main reason that, I want people to pick up the book. I want them to pick up the book so that they could feel something for Finn and for Isabel and for and for their, you know, mutual impossible like connection and and yet the the the, the greatness of their characters coming together at that time in history, which is like so important to me. Um and, and that's the thing, is like there is so much that a lot of people can relate to in that sense of having that unexpected connection, you know, two people, two different countries, yeah. not knowing each other, and then suddenly their lives are changed because of fate and circumstance. And that's, it's beautiful. It really is. Um, I'm yeah. excited to see how it ends. Uh, I'm excited also as well. My mum's traveling at the moment, and I'm excited when she gets back to, to pass it along and, and see what, you know, has, how she reacts as well and the conversations that we'll have together. Wonderful. Because um, it's beautiful. That's the thing is like we, we spend time, we connect and, and we share stories and everything. Not not mum and yeah. I, but people in general, you and I, yeah. everybody, we all do it. And there is something so yeah. human and, and powerful about it. Uh, so thank you it very really much. It really is. For, well, yeah. you know, thank you. Well, what about you yourself? You know that when you read yourself, what mm. are the things that you connect to as a reader like not just as in the professional capacity as mm. a as a journalist and someone who writes you know about other writers but when you are reading for your own self what 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 connects you to the books that you read i guess i look for something that's grounded something that i can i can see characters living their lives and whether it's just going through you know 
something basic like going to the shops and getting things for dinner and things like that. If I can see that they're living a life and they're trying to get through the day, that's that's the core thing of what I can relate to. I'm not huge on science nice. fiction and fantasy and things like that because I, I find that they're a little bit too distanced for me to connect to. But people going through their days and whether it's now, yeah. whether it's 1929, I can empathize with that because I've been through something yeah. similar. You know, I've been through days where it's really hard or, you know, you find yourself yeah. connecting with people. And that's what I search for, at least in, in a book. Um, and same it, with movies and, and, you know, stories and all this kind of stuff. That's that's what I want is to see something that I can find a little bit of myself in there. And I've certainly found absolutely. that here too. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Absolutely. Well, that's a very good answer. I, and I, I agree with you, but some people, you know, they love fantasy and science yeah. fiction. There's oh, yeah. no accounting for that. They do. They do love it. Uh, I I myself, uh, you know, not, do not necessarily, but I do enjoy, uh, uh, as you said, having uh, identification with what my characters are going through, where you could say, no matter what a stage in, in, in history, you could say, they're real people and that's why you have to make them real people even when they're in history right so because you need to have that connection mm. uh that connection to something grounded like you know going out and getting uh getting food or or struggling for food or struggling to make your relationship work you yeah. know those are hard things and yeah, yeah. but I, i'm oh, i'm really glad that yeah. you, you felt that way well I, i'm really looking forward to hearing what you what i'll, you, what I'll you make think sure to yet. let you know Thank you so much for your time. Thank I've you taken so much. So much of your time. Yeah. I really appreciate it. No, uh, it was a awesome. wonderful conversation. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it really has been. I really enjoyed it very, very much. Thank you so much for letting me uh, uh, blather on about my, my writing. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you.